And if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles, I'll read it here for uh, us in just a moment. But we are continuing our study of Ephesians. And just as a brief reminder and a review, as Pastor Casey has been leading us through this, we've looked at the indicatives of the gospel in Paul's letter here. We found that in chapters 1 through 3. In short, it's our gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and all the blessings of being united to him. Pastor Casey has labeled this the gospel, and that is found in chapters 1 through 3, who, are, who we are in Jesus Christ. In chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, they have been what he's been calling the imperatives. That is, how are we as Christians to live life in Christ, united to Christ, as we live by grace through faith. And Pastor Casey has summed this up as the law. So we have been studying the gospel and then the law that outflows from that gospel. And so our text this morning obviously falls in chapter 6 in the imperatives. And it continue, we're continuing to touch on the Christian household. How does the household live in light of the gospel? And so Pastor Casey, two weeks ago, looked at the exhortation to the wives at the end of chapter 5, and last week, the exhortation to the husbands. And today, we're going to be looking at the two other uh, relationships within the structure of the household, that is parents and children, and slaves and their masters. So allow me to read and ask the Lord to bless our time. And then we'll get into our study. So I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give to us a witness of who you are, and of life, and of salvation. And we ask that as we study your word this morning, that our households would be affected and transformed by your gospel the power of your Holy Spirit, as we learn to live united with Christ. Please direct our thoughts and our minds this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Well, back in 1987, maybe some of you will remember this, maybe some of you won't, but the artist and actor known as Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff came out with a song, Parents Just Don't Understand. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. But essentially, it was a teenager's angst singing about how his parents just don't understand that teenagers will make mistakes. 
And he goes through this story of making a mistake, and he doesn't think it's too big of a deal, although crashing your parents' Porsche is probably a bigger deal than he makes it out to be. And one of his main themes in this song is this. So to you, all the kids across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Now, this is not the only pop culture reference that has attempted to drive a wedge between the relationship of parents and their children. In fact, and sadly, one of the worst pop culture uh, areas, arenas which this happens, is in movies targeted for children. In these movies, we're all familiar with them, and I'm sure children, you are too, this young person is attempting to find their fulfillment, find their potential, to find the meaning in life. And many times, and in almost every time, this happens not only outside the home, but outside parental care. What's worse Many times the parents are seen as the main obstacle or the main hurdle that needs to overcome. That is that in order for this young person to find fulfillment, they must first get out of the oppression of their parents and their household. And so this, again, drives a wedge between how it should be between a parent and a child. And so we have false doctrine that comes in and shapes our families, shapes our relationships. What we need is not pop culture references, obviously, but we need the timeless word of God to direct our understanding and to give us a center of what does the parent-child relationship look like? What does the household look like in Jesus Christ? And so the Apostle Paul, in the passage I just read, in the passage we're going to study, gives us that direction. It blocks out any pop reference or any theology of the world that says parents and children just don't understand each other. It actually guides and directs us to what God has ordained for the family. And so before we get into the study of the text, I just want to make a couple points here. First of all, let's notice this pattern, right? This pattern in Paul talking to the household. First, he speaks to the wives, and then he speaks to the husband. And here now, he speaks to the children, then he speaks to the father, and then he'll speak to the slave, and then he'll speak to the masters. What he is doing here is speaking to one group first, and how they are supposed to conduct themselves with the other person who is the authority in the household. So we have wives, children, and slaves, and how they are supposed to conduct themselves to the husband, father, and masters. There's three different groups here. But let us remember, and it's easier for us to connect the dots, that the husband and the father are the same person, but we're talking about a first century household here. And so even the master would most likely be this same person. And so what Paul is doing here is structuring his exhortation and his instruction around the head of the household, that is the husband, the father, and the master. Now he also mentions the idea of slaves, and I just want to take a moment to comment on this. It's no surprise that Paul would do this because that was the norm of first century Rome, the Roman Empire. In fact, some estimate that there may have been up to 60 million slaves within the empire. 
And so within the structure of the home, you would have a husband and wife, you would have the father and his children, and you would have that same person having slaves that help conduct the affairs or the business of the family. Now, we don't want to view this idea of slavery through the lens of American slavery because it was quite different. In fact, one of the main differences is that these slaves were brought in for a variety of different reasons, and largely, largely, it was not based on race. Maybe it was due to a debt that was owed or a harm that was done. Sometimes they were brought back from war and conquest. Sometimes they were just purchased through a system. But these slaves, while many of them were considered mere property and tools to which anybody can do anything with, specifically the, the head of the house, they did also have opportunities to gain wealth, freedom, and have families. Now, much more can be said, but I don't want us to distract from the focus this morning. That is of the relationship of the family household, the Christian family household. What is worth noting here, however, is that Paul elevates the status of the slave by considering them part of the Christian household. They were not merely possessions, but they were human beings created by God and as such have value and were to be considered equal members of the covenant of faith. They are not simply property to be owned and abused. And so even Paul speaking to them and recognizing them would be somewhat a radical shift from the norm of how they were viewed. Now again, we could spend much time, and there has been much ink spilt over the idea of slavery in Scripture. But again, I want us to focus on the Christian household this morning. So for our sake and our study, I'm going to extrapolate these themes and principles and apply them to where I think they're best understood in our context, 21st century America, in which slaves are not the norm, and look at it in our vocational arena, that is, of the relationship between the employees and the employer. So when we come to that, just to give us a framework of where I am going. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4, and look at the relationship between parents or fathers and their children. In verses 1 through 3, this is for you children here. Listen up. It's very simple and clear what the Apostle Paul exhorts you to do. Obey your parents. Now notice with the wife, the word submission is used. And here with children, it's obey. It's a much different relationship. There's more of this authoritative figure of the father and the parents over their children. And so children, it's not a submission, it's an obedience. But this obedience is not arbitrary. It's an obedience in the Lord. That is, children, obeying your parents is obeying the Lord. It's honoring him. Why? Paul says it is right. That is, the way God has designed the family is to have parents caring for their children and their children to respect, honor, and obey what God has put into place. It is right. It is good. And to recognize that and to be obedient to your parents is to recognize the blessing and goodness of what God has given to you, parents and a home. Paul doubles down here by bringing in the fifth commandment. 
And he mentions and makes note that this commandment to honor your father and mother also has a promise. This promise is long life. Now, it's very easy maybe to think of this as some magical pill or quid pro quo with God. All right, let me get this straight, God. If I obey them, I'll live a long time. Really, while there is an element in which God does bless obedience and does curse disobedience, I think what's happening here is more of a practical and pragmatic way. That is, if you listen to your parents, you will get good insights on how to live a long time. As a basic example, I live on a pretty busy road. So the rule in our house is you only go to the backyard. You cannot go to the front yard unless there's adult supervision or permission. By my children staying in the backyard, they reduce their likelihood of getting hit by a stray vehicle, thus increasing their chances of living longer. It's very practical and pragmatic. Now, of course, that is a very simple um, idea here, but think about it. Children, when your parents tell you to stay away from drugs and the abuses of alcohol, listening to them will, uh, and obeying them will decrease your chances of going down a dark road that could lead to premature death. Or when they try to instruct you on how to manage money and when they try to build in good money principles, the purpose here is that you will grow up and learn how to handle your money so that you will have the resources to provide for yourself and for your family and do well. And so again, there is an element in which God blesses obedience. But I think just starting off, there is much more a practical and pragmatic approach. So what does this look like? Well, first and foremost, children, obey and honor your parents. Obey and honor your parents. Listen to them. But I want us to think of this. Remember I mentioned before this pop culture and this movie paints a picture that the home and parents are unsafe. That they are not wise. They're simple oppressors who are trying to control you. God has not ordained it so. There is safety in obedience to your parents. It is a safety measure that protects you and teaches you so that you may do well. Your parents are not an obstacle to overcome, but a blessing from the Lord to grow and to feel safe. So not only are we to obey, not only is there a passive element here, but I would encourage an active element. Seek out your parents for wisdom, for instruction. If you are having trouble obeying, ask them to help. Ask them what that can look like. If you want to learn more about life or godly uh, living or scripture, ask them. Come to them with these questions. That who is who God has given to you to learn those things. When you feel tempted to stray from walking with the Lord, seek out your parents that they may pray with you and help you. When you are struggling with anything, whether it be something at school, a project, or grades, or maybe relationships, or any type of struggle, your parents are there to help you seek them and glean their wisdom. Now let's look at verse 4 here as we shift from the child to the parent. And notice what we get here is again a very simple command. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. 
Some commentators use the word resentment here. Do not provoke your kids to becoming angry and resentful. And so I think there's two main ways that this happens. First, fathers, parents, we could respond to our children always in anger and heavy-handedness. That is, stop annoying me. That is, why are you bothering me? And all they get from us is anger. All they get from us is resentment, which will in turn cause them to become angry with us, resentful of us, and not want to receive our care. On the opposite end, resentment and anger can come from neglect, completely ignoring the emotional, physical, and spiritual need of our children and letting them go by the wayside, not taking the time to hear them out, not even responding to them, or responding to them in such passive-aggressive ways that they do not feel cared for. These are things that lead to anger and resentment of our children. And so Paul, in this first part here, is giving us the negative aspect. Essentially, don't abuse your children. Don't do that. But there's also a positive. There's also something worth to strive for. It's not simply not doing something, but there's also something worth to be doing. And the positive aspect of this command is to point them towards something. See, it's very tempted. It's very tempting for us to say, well, I don't want to cause my children to hate me. So I'm going to ease up and kind of let them do what they want. And this way, they're going to love me, and I'll be their best friend, and they'll obey me. Well, that is not what the Apostle Paul tells us. That is not what God has set up for us as parents. We're to point them towards something. And that's something here that Paul brings up is discipline. That is, rightly ordering their lives around godly habits that they may do good things. Structuring their home life, their school life, their, their relationships, having a bedtime. Those type of things help build in them a sense of discipline and a sense of how do I succeed and grow. And then, of course, there's in the instruction of the Lord. It is not simply an arbitrary discipline. It's not simply teaching them arbitrary things, but it's teaching them godly things. It's pointing them to the word of God by structuring their discipline around what God calls us to do. By teaching them who God is and what he desires for them, teaching them the gospel, that we are all sinners in need of grace, and by grace, through faith, we are saved because of the great love of God. That is what we're to point them to. Now, it's interesting here that Paul speaks to fathers. He does not mention in his exhortation anything with the mothers. That doesn't mean mothers are off the hook, but first and foremost, what he is speaking to again consistent with his parent as he's speaking to the head of the household, the father. As fathers, as a father myself, it is my responsibility to make sure that my children are cared for, that we are not building into them resentment and anger, but a discipline and an understanding of God's word. Yet, mothers participate and are a critical element to this process. If I can borrow some of the language that Pastor Casey has been using, it's uh, as, a, as a father were to delegate this authority and not abdicate. It's very easy for us fathers to say, the home, that's my wife's territory. Kids are in the home. That's good enough for me. I'll check in from time to time. We are supposed to be delegating that authority and then participating 
with our wives, the mother of our children, and to raising our children. Proverbs 1, verse 8, says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This is a great example of what this looks like, because we know Proverbs, especially the first nine or ten chapters, Solomon is speaking to his son, and he is teaching his son discipline and instruction in the Lord. He's doing what Paul calls us to do as fathers. But notice how he brings the mother into the conversation as part of this process. I think if we go further, too, and we look at redemptive history, specifically Deuteronomy 6, that as God redeems people and he redeems household, it is the role of the mother and the father to teach their children the gospel through every word and action. But I think we don't even have to go that far. If we look at our own context right here in Ephesians 6, Paul says in the verses preceding, verse 4, that honor your father and mother. The fifth commandment he draws, and so I think it's very clear to see that this is the role of a father and a mother, with the father being the one taking the lead. So what does this look like? How do we do this? Well, fathers, along with mothers, lead your children. Very simple, just like the exhortation for the children. Lead your children. Know them and set aside a time for each child. Each of our children are a different gift from God, and they all have, as we know, different personalities, different likes, different dislikes. And it's important for us as parents to get to know them to understand what speaks to each and every one of them individually. So set aside time to get to know them individually. But there's also the familial element to it. We are to lead them, fathers, we're to lead our children as a family. Many call this family worship. And sometimes that gets thrown around and said, and sometimes that can be ambiguous. So I'd like to bring some clarity to that. For those of you who do already participate in a regular time of gathering your family together around the word of God and around prayer, that is great, and I encourage you to continue to do so. But also, I would exhort you to be mindful that your worship is actually speaking to the needs of your children, that they are receiving that time. For those of you who have heard this, or maybe haven't heard it, and it's piquing your interest, and you're wondering, okay, great, I think I should do this, but how? Allow me to just give a few simple ways to get started. It does not have to be super elaborate. You do not need to recreate an entire covenantal renewal worship. It could be something simple like bringing the family together, whether at morning, night, noon, you know the best schedule of your day, and maybe just reading scripture together. In fact, maybe a good way to do it is find out what scripture will be read in the upcoming Sunday service and read that together so that when your children hear the word of God read up here, they may look at you and say, that sounds familiar. It's preparing them for the upcoming week. Maybe you're a family that loves to sing hymns and psalms. I know there's a lot of families in in here that enjoy singing together. Maybe have your kids each pick their favorite hymn And take one day out of the week to sing it together. And then thus worshiping the Lord together. Or it could be just something simple. Bring them together 
and pray with and for them. Ask them, what do they want to be prayed for? Pray for the needs of the family. Pray for the needs of our church. Pray for the needs of the world. What we're doing here is just simply building into them a habit that as a family, my mother and my father want me to be pointed to Jesus Christ. So it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be very simple. Now, fathers, here's another thing that I think of. It's important that as we delegate this authority and this role with our wives, that we teach our children to respect their mother. That they understand that their mother is also an authority in the home and that to disrespect her and to dishonor her will not be allowed. And we do that by mirroring, by leading, by showing what it looks like to respect our wives, to love our wives, to serve our wives. And we set the example for our children, but we let them know that they are to be obedient to their mother. And so we are to lead our children that way. Likewise, fathers, let's actively participate with our wives in the caring of our children. Let's check in throughout the day or at the end of the day. Find out what are ways that we can be helping our wives help our children, care for our children. What are things that she needs help with? I think of even practical things. Helping, selecting with the choice of school you want to send your children to, or if you're homeschooling, maybe the curriculum. I know in my home, my wife does an amazing job uh, homeschooling our children. And so she has a very good pulse on which curriculum is going to be best for our children. And so she does the research, she looks at it, but it is my role as a leader to sit down with her and look at that curriculum and help with, alongside her pick what we would consider the best, that she can serve our children and our children will learn. Or even more practically, help your children with their homework. If you're able, you'll learn a lot about their personalities and their willingness to work if you do homework with them, a great opportunity to lead them. And then there's three specific instructions here that Paul gives us. He says, let us not bring our kids to anger. So the question for me, the question for us as fathers and as parents, are we prone to anger? Do we need the Lord's help in our own anger that we may lead our children by example? We're called to bring them towards discipline. Do we ourselves struggle with discipline? And if so, do we need the Lord's help to discipline our own lives that we can then instruct our children on what a disciplined life looks like? And we're called to point them to the word of God. Are we pursuing God's word? Are we seeking God's word that we may have an answer for our children if they have a question? And we are also modeling what it looks like to search after God. Now, if all of this seems very difficult or overbearing or even impossible, without Christ, it is. We need his grace. Unless we go from here thinking all these things that we have to do as fathers and as parents are on our own, then we've missed what Paul is getting at. We need God's grace. We need his mercy. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're to seek him in helping us do this. But we also should seek each other. Let's reach out for help. Remember the unity in the body. We have one another. When we have children come up here and we celebrate 
baptism, there is a call to all of us in the congregation that we will help serve these parents in the covenantal nurture of the Lord. And we are to give not just an amen, but a hearty amen to that. And so let us reach out to each other for help raising our children, for prayer, for simple advice, for struggles. We have one another because God has blessed us with each other to do this together. And of course, reach out to the pastors if you need help as well. We desire to help and serve you and your family. If you do need help, please reach out. In short, the gospel is needed for all of us to do this. Now, I want to just look briefly at verses 5 through 9 in the Slaves and Masters. And forgive me for the length on the first section. This is not a halfway point, trust me. Uh, I do want to take a short time to comment on this final relationship in the household. As I mentioned before, we're looking, I think, principally here at employees and employer relationships. So, the first thing we look at is slaves obey your masters. And I think we can look at this and say, those of us who are employed... Let us obey and respect our employers. Now notice, just like children are to obey in the Lord, we are to obey as to Christ. And Paul does what he does so well here is a play on words. He first begins with the word slaves to your earthly masters and then switches it on us. And he says the reason you should be obedient to your earthly masters because you are actually slaves to Christ. In other words... Our identity is not in our work. Our identity is in not in what we do. Our identity, Paul has been saying up to this point, is one in Christ, united in Christ. So our jobs, we are not meant to just try to impress others, but to glorify our Savior. You see, our work matters when we're slaves to Christ, because there's no such thing as secular. If everything we do is for our king, then everything is sacred. In fact, identifying ourselves in Christ and not in our work actually elevates our work. Because Christ is king, and we are serving the king, not just our employers. So let's keep that in mind as we go to work and do what we do. Now, masters, do good to your slaves. Remember to treat them well. So those of you who are employers, own your own business and management, or have others that work under you, remember to treat your employees well. Stop threatening. Stop being heavy-handed. Be kind. Because here's the thing, and here's the hinge of what Paul is saying for this relationship, and it's found in verses 8 and 9. That is, both the slave and the master all must come before the judgment seat of Christ, and give an account of how we treat one another, of how we conduct ourselves. We must remember that all of us have been shown grace, and it is out of the abundance of this grace that we should treat one another. Employers, we have been shown grace, and we are to live a life of grace in response to our King. Those of you who are employ others, you have been shown grace and treat others well. Look for ways to build up others and not simply oppress them. 
We have been shown grace and must respond accordingly. So, this week, if you hammer nails into pieces of wood to put them together, do so for your king, Jesus Christ, because that is sacred, that is elevated, and in doing it well and in excellence, you bring glory to our king and spread his kingdom. If you sit before a computer and look at numbers all day, and you crunch the numbers, crunch to the glory of God. Do so for your king, and in so elevating what you do. If you are a homemaker, and you care for your children, and you're making them bread, that is a sacred act. You are providing for your children and glorifying your king, who has placed you in that role. And all that we do, we are to serve our king, and everything is thus sacred. So I want to ask this final question. Do we want to see the world change? Do we want to see the kingdom of God grow? Of course we do. And there are many ways to do that, and there are many things out there that we can do, and all are very good, and all are needed. But when we look at what God has designed for human flourishing, And when we look at what God has designed for the growth of his kingdom, it begins in the home. It begins with a home rightly ordered to the word of God, in which the parents recognize their responsibility to one another before the Lord as husband and wife. They recognize their responsibility to raise up the next generation to fear the Lord, that they may then have children that they raise up to fear the Lord, and in so doing, grow the kingdom of God. And then from there, we go out into the world and spread the gospel. God's design and human flourishing is also found in the marketplace, the business of the family, if you will. That is, are we doing our work well, whether employee or employer? Are we doing it to the glory of God? And in so doing, and doing it in excellent, we create businesses and vocations and marketplace arenas that are done for the glory of God, and thus bring about his kingdom. So as we think about the Christian household, it's very easy to just look inward and say, these are things that we're supposed to do because we're Christians. And while that's true, really, when we look at what God is doing throughout redemptive history, what he's doing in our own lives is he is bringing about godly people through his structure of the family, He's bringing about it in you. He's bringing about it in me. And we are to be marked as a people of grace in our home and in the marketplace. I know these relationships are tough, but it's what God calls us to. And by his mercy, by his grace, by his love, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can rely on him to have a home that is modeled after Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and in the Holy Ghost. Amen.